What a beautiful passage of Scripture. The heart of the book of Romans, really. I want to talk this morning about what does it mean to have our minds set. You may have recognized in that passage, after I've been kind of emphasizing this morning, what it means to have our minds set on spiritual things versus fleshly things. And, and I want to talk about it in the context of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple? Several weeks ago, when I, I spoke last time, we looked at, just for a minute, the Great Commission, which says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That we are a disciple-making people. We are disciples who make disciples. And at its essence, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Here's the idea. If you're a disciple, you're following Christ. To follow Christ, you have to be seeing him. You can't follow someone you can't see. I mean, does that make some sort of sense? I mean, you, if, you're, if you're not following the leader, you're just, as Oswald Sanders says, if you're a leader and no one's following, you're just taking a walk. If you think you're a follower, but you're not following your leader, you're not, you're not a disciple. You can call yourself whatever you want, but a disciple is one who puts themselves up under, one who follows someone, someone who's learning from. What is the goal of disciple-making? What is the goal of being a disciple? Remember the story in Mark, and it's in other Gospels as well, but Mark where Jesus turns to his disciples, his followers, and, and says, who do men say that I am? Who are people claiming me? To, and they give him some options. And, he, and then he asks them a really crucial question, but who do you say that I am? See, it's really important if we're going to be followers of Jesus that we know who it is we're following. I mean, we're disciples of his. And so it's important that we know who he is. So Peter says, uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it's been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. Whole lesson there on where does spiritual revelation come from. But then it says quickly after this great revelation, it says in the book of Mark, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. You know, when Jesus taught in parables and stuff, he didn't always state things plainly. I mean, there's some teaching in parables that's hidden, and it's hidden on purpose. But in this case, Jesus is like plain spoken. He's saying, here's what I got to do. I'm going to go up, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the day. He was saying it plainly. Here's what followers usually should not do. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, again his learners, his followers, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And here's the phrase I want you to see. He said, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, 
but man's. Peter has just been declared a rock on which Jesus is going to build his church, and then right away he turns around and flips the thing, and, and Jesus comes back to him and says, Peter, your mind is not set on what it's supposed to be set. He summons the crowd with his disciples. Jesus does and says to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to have our minds set on him, not on us and earthly things, and we're also to be cross-carriers, so to speak, denying ourselves, following after him. Here's the idea I, I want to get across to us this morning, and I'm going to give you three points from the book of Romans, and then I want to give you a, a little longer biblical illustration that will hopefully show how easy it is to have our minds set on the wrong thing and how quickly things can go, just as in Peter. Colossians 3.2 says this, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. <clears throat> if, if Paul is saying this, if Jesus is saying this, to set your minds on there's a discipline of mind-setting that we need to make sure that we're participating in. I love the message of God's grace, which is this. God has done everything for you. Um, you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, you're God's workmanship, created in advance to do good works, do the works. So, which is it, grace or works? Yeah. It's not we're getting saved by works. It's not. But if, if we couldn't have some control over our minds and set our minds on heavenly things, why, why the heck does Paul say set your mind? Why does he command us to set our mind? Because we're always tempted to set our minds on other stuff. There's an aspect of where you place your mind, what you set your mind on that is crucial. And I, I don't want to get... I don't want to get into mind control, Manchurian candidate, Star Trek, Vulcan mind melt stuff. I, I want to talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how do we have our minds set where our minds should be set? So, by the way, let me just say this too. I, I saw the movie uh, Hidden Figures yesterday. Have you seen that? If you haven't, I, I do recommend this movie. Um, I, I thought it was great. Uh, I, however, I came out feeling like the stupidest person in the world. I mean, these people are all brilliant, and with numbers and mathematicians, and, and, and I'm afraid that people look at Christians sometimes and say, what a bunch of idiots. Why? Because we've, we've mistakenly at times said, hey, to be a Christian means you've got to set your mind at the door. You just got to be a sheep. Um, you got to be a dumb animal following after stuff you don't really believe in. I, I think nothing could be further than the truth. God lo says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to be, I think Christians should be brilliant thinkers in faith. This is not that kind of thing. This is about 
where, what are we, who are we following? How do we stay in tune? How do we stay in track? How, do we, how are we good stewards of all that God has entrusted to our care? So let me give you these three points, and then I'm going to tell you a story. First is this. Mindset will dictate your viewpoint. Mindset dictates your viewpoint. How your mind is set will, will show how you view all of life. Paul says in Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Your mindset determines your viewpoint. Is your mind set on fleshly, sinful stuff? Your reaction right now is, no, 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 no. You know the right answer is no. The problem is we're always battling against this. I mean, really, you're sitting right there, and your mind is just going like this all the time. I mean, you, you're listening to me talk, but then you look down at your hands and you say, oh, man, my nails, I've got to quit biting my nails. I always wanted to stop biting them. I hope nobody looks at my nails because they'll know I'm a nail biter. I really want to break this habit, and, man, I wonder if anybody sees me, and then you look around, and you'll see some guy wearing a Falcon shirt, and you say, oh, look, he's wearing a Falcon shirt. I have the Super Bowls tonight. I wonder where I'm going to watch the game. Uh, the game, I wonder what time kickoff is. I wonder who I'm going to watch it with and what's going on. I wonder what kind of food. I wonder what the commercials are like. I, I don't want to see the halftime show because I don't like Lady Guy. Oh, look at that other guy. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I remember when I went to the beach last week, and and then... The, the, and we, I just ate too much food, and oh wow, I, I've been eating too much. I got to get in shape. I got to start exercising. I'm gaining weight. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh wait, that guy on the stage is still talking. What is it he's saying? And then, and then your your mind. Do you know uh, scientists tell you you have ten thousand thoughts a day? Ten thousand. So I think that's encouraging because. Maybe I can have one out of 10,000 that's good, right? The odds are in my favor. Listen, when your mind, however, is set on the things of the Spirit, then your viewpoint, how you view life, will be determined from a spiritual perspective, not from a fleshly perspective. And, and I want to say, it is really important how you interpret life. How you interpret circumstances, how you interpret the world around you. And there are only really two ways to do this, according to Paul here in Romans 8. It's either from a spiritual perspective or from a worldly perspective. What is your viewpoint this morning? And here's why it's really, I think, important because your viewpoint, your mindset, also directs the course of your life. Going on in verses 7 through 9, Paul says, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You see, your interpretation, your viewpoint... If your mindset determines your viewpoint and your mindset also directs your course because of your viewpoint, 
It determines how you react or act. Author of Proverbs says a lot about this, but he says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. What you think, what you believe, what your mind is set on, that, that is who, that's what you're going to do. You believe, I've said this over and over again, you act upon what you believe to be true. I mean, really. We can talk about it from a physical standpoint. I mean, if you, if you really believe something, you're going to act upon it. From a spiritual standpoint, if you really believe it, you're going to act upon it. If you say you believe it and do nothing with it, you don't really believe it. You say, well, that's kind of harsh. Maybe a little bit. But it's also true because your mindset, your belief of truth directs your course. As you think in your heart, so you are. Zig Ziglar says this, you are what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind. And you can change what you are and where you are by changing what goes into your mind. In other words, your thinking directly affects your performance and what you put into your mind affects your thinking. Now, again, I, I don't want to get so caught up in the power of positive thinking that you just are like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Trying to reiterate to yourself but but God is saying to you this here's what I've done in you here's who you are now think like who you are this is not trying to convince yourself of something you're not in order to become that thing does that make sense God has already declared this in you this grace that's at work within you Dr. Archibald Hart writes Research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. Two people suffer from an illness, we'll say cancer. One becomes bitter and depressed. The other becomes a source of strength and hope to those around them. Same disease, different viewpoint, different perspective. Two people are struggling financially. One of them is consumed with envy and discontentment. The other glows with gratitude and servanthood. Net worth, the same. Difference is in their minds. Two people are betrayed by someone close to them. One lives a life immersed in anger, malice, hatred, thoughts of revenge, vows to never get hurt by anyone again. The other has chosen the way of forgiveness and peace. Same hurt, same offense, different mindset determines your course, determines your perspective. We all have gaps in our training, what we've learned. <clears throat> when I was in 10th grade, my family moved from Maryland to Miami. It's culture shock. There's no way around it to go from Maryland to Miami. Miami, you need a passport uh, to live in. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, it's a foreign country. It just feels like that. It's just a different world. But what happened was uh, I was taking uh, physics in 10th grade, and my track was a certain science track. Well, when I got to Miami, um, 
it, it was just a whole different science track. And somehow, by my 12th grade year, I had never taken chemistry. Now, it really hasn't harmed me any in life. I want to be honest, um, not having chemistry has not really altered the course of my life. But it did not help me on the ACT to have never taken chemistry. And chemistry is one of those things, by the way, again, if you go see that movie yesterday, you've come out feeling like an idiot. You, you may think you're a little smarter, but you're not even in the realm of some of these women. Um, chemistry is one of those things you really can't, I, I couldn't teach myself chemistry. You know what I mean? I mean, the chart just looks like, I, it's ridiculous. That whole periodic table and how do I add, you know, I was trying to add letters and letters and numbers and numbers. I was trying to work logically in my head about how chemistry works and how, com how you combine chemicals. And I honestly, I still don't even know how the heck it works. Thank you. <laughs> what I'm saying is, there was a gap that I couldn't fill. Some of us have gaps in our thinking because we've never really immersed ourselves in what God says about us. And as a result, we have this perspective of life that's determining the course that's just wrong. People, I want to encourage you, get in the Word of God. Let it soak in you so that you can be what God has for you to be. So the mindset directs your course. Third point is this mindset ultimately is going to determine victory or defeat. Now you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't it God who determines victory or defeat? Yes, but God has placed in you his mind. And if you're walking according to his mind, his direction, you're going to experience victory. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Philippians 3, 18 and 19 says, For I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. By the way, Paul is talking about people who have tasted and abandoned and now have become enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set where? Their mind is set on earthly things. And where your mind is set, well, ultimately, it, it determines your viewpoint, it determines your course. And as you can see, I'm getting to the point, viewpoint determines course, course determines victory or defeat. Are you walking in life or are you walking with your mind set on earthly things? This is not to me some exercise in spirituality if indeed this is victory or defeat life or death don't you think this matters don't you think there's something critical here now again this is not just you claiming something that isn't this is you walking in who you are. 
here's what the Bible, let me just give you some of the minds that God says you have. He says, you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, for who has known the mind of the Lord that me instructed? But we have the mind of Christ. Is that not a remarkable miracle that you have the mind of Christ? You have a mind of, of love. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus tried to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You can have a mind of love because you're loving the Lord your God with all your mind. You can have a renewed mind. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We could do a sermon on every single one of these minds, couldn't we? What does it mean to have a mind of Christ? What does it mean to have a mind of love? How are our minds renewed? What does it make a difference in our lives? Kind of along the same line, Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. God has a lot to say about your mind. We can have one mind. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm just giving you a couple. There, there are many others in the scripture. We can have a willing mind, a ready mind, a lowly mind, a sober mind. A pure mind, a sound mind, a serving mind, a fervent mind. All of these are listed in the scripture at some place. Here's what I would say. You might hit a couple of these apart from Jesus, but these are in total who he declares you are. Here's what I want to say. Church, stop thinking badly about yourself. If God declares this is who you are, start thinking like God thinking and speaking into your life. I mean, this is, again, not just some thing where we're making ourselves be something we're not. This is who God says we are. Ultimately, we have a mind controlled, as we're looking at today, by the Spirit of God. You can have your mind controlled by those who live according to the sinful nature, have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Mindset will determine your viewpoint. Your viewpoint will determine your course. And your course ultimately determines victory or defeat. I would say we all have the potential to walk in the victory of the Lord. I mean, circumstances are going to be always great? Nope. Isn't it interesting that we're reading Job at the same time we're reading this passage in Romans? But ultimately what happens to Job is that his mind is changed. His viewpoint is changed, which changes his course because he's going to come earlier. Oh, oh, my ears, only my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Now I'm going to follow. I am a disciple follower. Here's what I'm going to do for the moments left. I, I want to give you a story, true story. It's a biblical story out of 2 Kings 5. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to summarize the story. I encourage you to read the whole chapter later. It's a very familiar story because I want to contrast two guys in this story. I want to, I want to contrast a guy who is a pagan, who becomes a follower, and a follower who acts like a pagan. Does that make sense? Because, to me, it illustrates this whole mindset aspect. Here's the story. I'm going to summarize it, you know, as quickly as a preacher can. So, it's supposed to be kind of funny. But you're saying, no, no, that's true. You're going to take forever to do this. I know you are. Second Kings chapter 5, there is a general in the Syrian army by the name of Naaman. Naaman gets leprosy. Naaman's a good guy, I mean, he's, but he's a general in the enemy, the army of the en enemy of Israel. At some point, the Syrian army has been raiding down in Israel. They capture a, a Jewish girl. They take her back, and now this girl is a servant to Naaman's wife. So the girl says to Naaman, hey, there's a prophet down in Samaria who can probably help you. He can heal you. So Naaman goes to the king and says to the king, hey, I've heard there's a prophet down in Israel who can help me get well of leprosy. The king says, okay, I'll write, I'll write a recommendation letter for you. He writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, hey, I'm sending my general down to find this prophet and maybe get healed. Naaman goes down, takes the letter to the king of Israel. The king of Israel panics. Oh, what have I done to deserve this? I'm going to be, he's going to come down. He's not going to be well. Now the Syrians are going to invade. He tears his robe. He just goes berserk. Why? His mind is not set on the things of God. Circumstances are now dictating. By the way, Naaman has traveled down there with about a thousand pounds in silver and gold to buy his way into a healing. Elisha hears that the king has torn his robe. He hears of the circumstance and situation. He says to the king, what is wrong with you? Send the guy my way. I'll handle it. Don't panic. God's going to show himself strong in this situation. Naaman is on his way down to Elijah. Elijah sends his servant out to Naaman and says to him, hey, go tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times and he'll be well. You would have thought, I mean, if it's me, I'd be like, oh, great, let's hit the Jordan. Let's, let's jump in the river. Naaman's offended. He's like, really? Go wash in this pitiful river? Don't we have better rivers in Samaria? Shouldn't the prophet have come out and yelled over me or screamed over me or uh, declared something, God from heaven, come to, I mean, this is what he starts saying. He did, the prophet didn't even come out. He didn't even show himself, and he gets mad. So he's going to go home, and, we'll, and his servants come to him and say, hey, 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 wait a minute. If the prophet had said to you, go do some great task, and you'll be healed, would you have done it? Go wash yourself in the river. I, I think they're basically saying, 
What have you got to lose? Naaman goes down, washes himself. I mean, you know, just kind of up and down, up and down. I don't know how he washes himself in the river seven times, but wouldn't you be thinking like fifth time? How am I doing? No change. Sixth time. Oh, this is stupid. I look like an idiot. Everybody's looking at me. I'm out of here. No, seven times. Seventh time he's healed. It's a, it's a miracle. He goes back to Elisha. Now, remember, he's never really even seen Elisha. He's just getting word. But he takes his thousand pounds of gold and silver. I mean, if you've been healed of an incurable disease that's going to take your life and make you an outcast, cost you your job, your family, your status, your situation, now you're healed, a thousand pounds is, I mean, a lot of money, but I made well. He goes to Elijah and he says, hey, I've got this money, take this money. Elijah says, heaven forbid, I am not taking your money. <laughs> Guy's never been on TBN. So, I'm sorry, that was really, <laughs> forgive me. It's not about the money, Elijah said. I want God to be glorified. I'm not taking your money. Naaman, this is the part I'm getting to. I, I had to tell you the whole story to get to this part. Naaman says, I now believe that this God is the real God. He's the God of the whole world. The God of Israel is the God. He then says to Elijah, and I never noticed, I was just reading this passage this past week. Uh, someone referenced it in the men's conference, and I was reading it. Naaman does two things. The first thing he does is he says, hey, can I take back as much dirt as two mules can carry? Do you, do you remember this part of the story? I, I never really read it before. Can I carry back as much dirt as two mules can carry? Because I'm going to go back, and I'm going to build an altar, and I want to build it on dirt from here. Now, you may be saying, well, that's really special, that he wants to take some dirt and build this altar. No, Naaman's got bad theology, because in their time, gods were gods of regions. And so what he's saying is, yes, God... This is the most powerful God. Your nation's God is the most powerful God, but I want to take some dirt back from here so that God will go with me. Then he says to Elisha, hey, by the way, in advance, will you forgive me? Because when I get back, I have to accompany the king into the pagan temple of Rimon, who is the god of Syria, and he leans on me when he goes to worship this God. And then I have to bow down to this God with my master, the king. Forgive me in advance. Now, if this were me and you, what would we have done? We would have corrected his theology and said, this dirt ain't worth nothing. Or... Second, we would have said, hey, buck up, big boy. If it costs you your life, you can't go into a pagan temple. You can only serve God. We would have tried to fix everything in these two statements that's incorrect. 
Elisha says this, go in peace. Why? Here's what I think is happening. Naaman is coming out of a pagan, totally pagan environment. And he doesn't have everything right. He's not doing everything right, but he's moving toward the light. And rather than say, hey, you've got to get everything right, Naaman's mind is being changed. It's being altered. He's already said, I want to take this dirt. I love this God so much. I want, I, forgive me in advance. And Elisha says, go in peace. It's all he can handle for one day. Go in peace. Naaman starts to travel home. Elisha's servant, Gehazi, who's been with Elisha a long time. He's been a disciple of Elisha for quite a while. He starts thinking to himself, my master is nuts. He's letting this guy go with dirt and a thousand pounds of gold and silver. After Naaman gets a ways away, Gehazi goes after him and says, hey, after you left, a couple of prophets from the hills showed up and they need some new clothes. Um, so my master wants some of the money to buy these guys some new clothes. Now, there is so much wrong with this situation, so much wrong with this story, but let me just say Gehazi ain't that different from us. We're naming it, claiming it taking it. Why? Because there's money out there. There's gold in them there hills. Let's get them. Let's take it. Naaman's more than generous. Gehazi goes home. He's got the gold. He takes it to his house. He hides it. Comes into Elijah. <laughs> Elijah goes, now, why do you think you can hide from Elijah? It's beyond me. Gehazi, where you been? Uh-huh. What? Nowhere. I mean, he just outright lies to him. And, you know, Elisha calls him out on it, and Gehazi gets the leprosy that was on Naaman. Here, here's the point. Not that if you disobey God, he's going to strike you with leprosy. Please don't. I, here's what I see. A disciple, no matter how immature he is, is moving toward the light. If his mind is set on what it's supposed to be set on. A person who calls themselves a disciple, when they let their minds go off spiritual things, they start heading toward the dark. No matter what they call themselves. I believe. I believe that we're to be people that are walking in the light all the time, every moment of every day. Because how our mind is set will determine your viewpoint. See, some of you are here today, and I, you've let your mind drift. You've become discouraged at well-doing because somehow the well-doing was the goal of things. You thought the way, in the well-doing you were going to find satisfaction. You thought in the well-doing you'd be closer to God. Get your mind set on him. 
his, the relationship with him, the life in him. Some of you here today, and you're thinking really badly about yourself. I am not worthy of, you know what? Look around the room. Ain't nobody worthy of what God did for us in Christ Jesus. But now that you're a part of his family, here are the things he says about you. Walk in those things. Move in those things. It will change how you speak to people. Rather than you going up to someone and saying, oh, pitiful, poor me. I'm awful. It's terrible. I deserve this. You'll start to get a different perspective. And you'll, rather than being a life sucker, you'll be a life giver. I mean, honestly, I love all of you. But there are people who suck the life out of you because they have a bad mindset of who they are in Christ Jesus. And when you get a hold of who Christ has made you, you'll be a life giver, speaking life over the people around you. Why did I tell you that story about naming and Gehazi? Gehazi knew a lot more than Naaman knew. It's not about Bible not. It's keep one step at a time. Have your mind set on the Lord. Moving toward the light. One step closer. One step closer. One step closer. One step closer as God gives you grace. And I believe you'll experience victory. Versus a guy like Ahazi who set his mind on the things of the world, the things of the flesh, and experienced death. I want fullness to be a life-giving church. To do that, it's not what we do on our own. It's where our minds are set. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the flesh is death. Lord, we thank you this morning for who you are. Lord, I just thank you that I can't do this on my own. But as I, through faith and grace, have my 